What music does is it helps us to think our feelings and to feel our thoughts. And so whenever we sing together, we're making these intellectual thoughts about who God is, but then it brings our heart along with it. And so we have emotional response and not just an intellectual response. Hey, welcome to the Indo Podcast. I'm Isaac, your host. And as you can hear, my, my voice is no longer gone. Honestly, my voice has never been gone that long, right over the Christmas break. But you know what? My wife said I actually sounded wiser when I was talking, you know, seriously with her with this, you know, lost voice. So it kind of worked in my favor a little bit. But anyways, I hope your 2017 has started off well. If you're a student, you know, you're already in classes and working on that. That's awesome. Um, today, we have a great interview with a guy you probably haven't heard of. Um, his name is Cody Curtis. He's a talented composer who's actually got his doctorate in musical compositions. Crazy. Anyways, the project he headed up about a year ago uh, was called Romans, or is called Romans, and it's it's this album that literally is a musical journey through the book of Romans. It's as if a preacher, he says later on in the conversation, it's as if a preacher is just preaching, but in a more of a melodic way. Um, so just so you get a taste of what it actually sounds like, I'm going to play like a 30-second clip uh, from the second song on the album called Paul. And uh, what's really interesting is that he literally Literally, not exactly word for word, but he pretty much sticks towards the text. So even if you have your Bible around or your phone, uh, he's going to be kind of going through Romans 1, 1 through 15. So here's a 30 second clip. And then right after that clip, we're going to go right into the conversation with Cody Curtis. I am Paul, a slave owned by Jesus Christ, an apostle who set aside to proclaim the good news that was promised long ago concerning him God's son who came down to earth to be born and to give new birth from whom we have received the grace to make him known so I write this to the saints who are well, it's a privilege and an honor to be talking with a very talented musical composer, songwriter, and probably other things as well today. Um, Cody Curtis is our guest on the show for this week, and so thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, a couple months ago now, I think, I, I came across this album online called Romans, and then underneath that uh, was this little word uh, called Solos underneath it. And so I was like, hey, this kind of looks cool. So I began to listen. I actually really enjoyed uh, what I was hearing. Pretty much it's this musical journey through the book of Romans. And I'm like, wow, that, that's intense. <laughs> um, so upon exploring a little bit more about this musical group called Solos, I came across uh, this guy or one of the guys behind the project, and that is who you're listening to. Uh, his name is Cody, and he's that's he's here with us today. And he decided to, uh, um, yeah, respond to my request just to ask talk to him about worshiping through through music. But before we spend a few minutes digging into musical worship and creative music worship as well, um, Cody, why don't you just share with us briefly sort of who you are personally, and uh, and then also how Solos came about as well. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Cody Curtis. I live in Jackson, Tennessee. I work at a school called Union University here. It's a private Christian school. Great uh, university. And I'm married to my wife. Her name is Melody. Very fittingly, her name is Melody. <laughs> uh, we have one child, a daughter named Elowen, and she's uh, 16 months right now. So she's a lot of fun. Nice. And uh, so let's see, I graduated from Union for undergrad in music theory, and I did my master's in music composition at UNC Greensboro, North Carolina, 
And uh, just in May, graduated with my doctorate in music composition at the University of Memphis. So love music. I have really enjoyed all my training in it. And uh, I love writing music in particular. Uh, So let's see. I got into music when I was young, kind of late in the game, yeah. but uh, went through all the, the steps to, to catch up with, with um, higher ed. And uh, we, my wife and I, when we were in North Carolina during my master's, yeah. I was writing music for the school, but we just had this desire to write music for the church. Mm-hmm. I had <laughs> I'd grown up just most, like most teenage guys writing songs, just love songs, silly songs. Sure. <laughs> and... Uh, the Lord is really maturing me during this time theologically and understanding of the power of Scripture and mm. what Christian worship is. And so we just had this desire to write music for the church, music mm. that was artistically excellent and music that was clear and edifying in the way that the lyrics were written cool. and that was consistent with, with sound theology, consistent with Scripture. So we started Solos uh, about 2012 is when we did that. Okay. And it was just a really small thing. It was my wife and I. Our first album was almost entirely my wife and I doing all the playing and singing. Wow. And really, it was just our attempt of just taking the first steps and saying, well, what could this this be? And yeah, so it's, it's grown from that, but it was very humble beginnings. Uh, so whenever we moved to ja- back to Jackson, um, that was in, I don't know, 20, maybe 2012, 2013. Okay. Uh, working at Union, I, I had this idea for an album called Based on the Book of Romans for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was something I, I kept dismissing because it, it, it really does seem... Uh, quite impossible to yeah, adapt totally. <laughs> a, a book like that to music, but it, it kept the idea kept coming back. And so I teamed up with some students here at Union and we talked about how we could actually pull this off. And so uh, Romans was our really our first major album. And it is, it is a telling of the story of Paul's letter to Rome. And we use uh, musicians here at Union and it's just really supposed to, to teach in a, in, a, in a way similar that a pastor would preach through yeah. the book of Romans in a sermon series. So taking it in small chunks and trying to explain it. And so we, we released that in 2015. And uh, yeah, then the album we just released this year, it was just a small EP called yeah. Church Songs. And it was those are more meant to be congregational songs yeah. for the church to sing, whereas Romans is is not so much a congregational right. um, album. It's more of a presentation, <laughs> but also meant to facilitate worship. So sure, both yeah, sing that way definitely, yeah. And I mean, listening to the Romans album, I I always like whenever the the song the story of Abraham comes on, I'm like, oh, this is this is amazing. I re- I really enjoy that song <laughs> out of all of them. Oh, good, well, thanks. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to talk with with you, Cody, um, in regards to something obviously that's really important. Obviously, just from your uh, kind of brief little testimony, uh, in a, in a sense, we we know this to be true. But um, it's it's the important, um, despite what many Christians and churches may think, but that's of congregational worship through through music, mm-hmm. and um, and I feel like um, and I. I don't think I don't think I'm doing a huge brush over everything, but I feel like a lot of churches just sort of do their kind of worship music on Sunday mornings or whatever in an attempt to sort of just kind of copy what they might think is the norm or just the requirement of, of yeah. what they should do, you know? So they look around uh, to see, you know, maybe what Hillsong's doing or Passion or Matt Redman or Chris Tomlin or whatever. And and um, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with these groups or artists, but the possible issue that comes from this is when it just sort of turns into this kind of blind following um, without really considering, like, one, the content of the songs, <laughs> uh, the, the melodies, like the singability, um, and even the state of the specific church, you know, do, do these songs or this song um, help 
bring this specific church to a place of worshiping in spirit and truth. So I'd first love to hear your thoughts just on kind of on that. And then the question out of that is, you know, why why do you think it's important for the church to embrace more unique forms of, you know, or genres, styles of music rather than just doing what everyone else does? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the key is your phrase to like blindly follow. And it's always dangerous to, to blindly follow anything mm. in regards to our, our corporate liturgy. So discernment is always important there. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, especially for, for music, because music, as you know, it's very powerful and it's very stealthy in how it can affect us and mm. how it can, um, it's, it's very much a personal personal thing. And so you have to be extra cautious when you approach music. And so when it comes to taking what we hear from other churches doing or on the radio or um, organizations or conferences like that, you just have to remember that just because it's it's popular or it's being done by a larger church doesn't mean that it's yeah. the best option for your church. It doesn't even necessarily mean it's, uh, it's good. Um, we can think of probably some examples there, but that you need to... to Evaluate will it work well for your congregation? And there's lots of concerns when it comes to that. And I I appreciate your your sensitivity to it because I want to be gracious in the same way. It's I'm not super critical, or I don't want to come across as super critical yeah. of what you hear in a lot of CCM today. But there are some some things that you need to just to be aware of it as a music leader or as a songwriter. And a lot of that music sometimes you can characterize it as being written to appeal to a, a more of a, a larger audience. And when that's mm. the case, sometimes you you just gravitate towards certain certain things that'll maybe sell or more be more popular as opposed right. to what might be best. Yeah. And I don't know if I have time to get into all that. But just to say <laughs> that uh yeah, singability of a melody, if it's a lot of artists like Chris Tomlin, who I respect and I like, who has such a, a, a wide vocal range. Yeah. Sometimes his music may may not be best for your congregation if, if they're not used to, to singing that high. So you got to think about the melodic range um, and things like that. And so on the flip side, though, we can say that just because something is unique and original and novel doesn't mean it's the best option for your church totally. as well. So all that to say, to start with, is just be discerning about what you hear, what you are um, wanting to include, because it, it is, it's easy to just copy what is popular because, you know, like, as I'm a music minister as well, mm. and I know it would be easy for me to just to take a song that I hear that I know people like mm-hmm. and just to have it sung because in, in one sense I'll feel like, oh, I'm succeeding as a, as a music leader because they like it and they're singing right. along. Yeah. But maybe my objective should be more uh, in line with thinking, well, what does our, our church need to learn about, to sing about? What is the preacher preaching through? And so, uh, yeah, if you just copying, pasting, it's easy, but uh, it's not always the best. And it, it can create a bit of staleness in our sure. in our, our music. And uh, I think more unique approaches to music, it gives this freshness to church music. And church music ought to be, and when I say fresh, I, I mean it in a very particular way. Yeah. Uh, it, should, <laughs> it shouldn't it shouldn't be what exactly what you've been hearing for the past five, 10 years or a month ago, that it's where we're trying to create new things and creative ways. And there's some imagination there. And yeah. so 
Yeah, no, that's good. And I think you, you, you've been alluding to it, but, you know, for, for listeners who might be, um, you know, involved in their, uh, uh, the sort of the music at their church or just interested in, in general, uh, you talk about discernment and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I know you've just alluded to it in different fragments, but if, if someone, if a young, like, let's say, uh, or not young, just a, any sort of music person came up to you and say, hey, Cody, like, what do you mean by I, I, sh- I should be having discernment in, in, in the songs that I choose? Mm-hmm. The first place would be to start lyrically. As much as I love music and I, I love composing instrumental music <laughs> in, in corporate worship, lyrics are number one by yeah. a landslide. And so you have to exercise uh, discernment there of, well, what are we singing? And I, I, I would encourage that person to just get rid of the music for a second and look at the words. Mm. And you can ask questions like, like what is the overall teaching of this song? And most most songs are going to be like they're not going to be heretical. Right. <laughs> there are some, but for the most part, it's it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be okay. But then you can say, well, is it? Are the words? Um, are they? Are they deep? Are they shallow? Are they are taking into account multiple aspects of scripture? Are they just painting a very um, shallow picture of? God and the gospel. Right. And I think you find that to be the case in a lot of a lot of songs. It doesn't mean you throw them out, but sure. that's just that's something I consider. And that's why I, I tend to lean more towards hymns because I mean those hymn writers, their their language is so beautiful right. and they're they're poets and they're theologians. Yeah. So thinking about words and then yeah, with the music you want to be discerning about uh singability and if it's stylistically as well Mm. uh, to go back to your previous question if you're just copying what other churches are doing or other organizations are doing then you're you're going to mainly be singing one type of style it's more of a rock and roll folksy is and those are all blending together but that's what popular music is it's taking it's taking multiple styles and it's homogenizing them into this one popular musical style (laughs) and uh, and so there's there's benefit to your to your church if you are incorporating a, a diversity of musical styles, maybe bluegrass, maybe string quartet, and maybe instrumentations. And there's so much you can do. Yeah. And of course, this is all within the limitations of your church and the, exactly. the director. But it's just to, to know that well, maybe I should be pursuing different types or different approaches to music because that'll that'll be good for your church because your church is comprised of different types of people and that's the exactly. beauty of the church exactly and you know as you say that though i want to get a little bit more specific and specifically with uh like metaphors and sort of poetic uh imagery um a lot of songs both hymns and contemporary songs will have these sort of metaphors and you know some songs i guess would have more or less do you sort of tend to one or the other like do you cuz i guess the critical sort of uh the critique, I guess, of a song that's just kind of piled up with metaphors is that, you know, people, if they're maybe not super mature in their faith, will sort of uh, understand these metaphors to mean something that it really shouldn't. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's and that's a good point. Yeah, I think you do find a lot of metaphors and similes being used in the lyrics. Uh, and so what that does is you. So, there's nothing wrong with this, of course, but you sometimes, sometimes clear blunt language is 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 the way to go sometimes you need to to, to color it up with, with right. poetic devices like that um, but you're right I mean with with comparisons like that you can sometimes 
misunderstand. And as a songwriter, you don't you don't want your listener to, to misunderstand. Uh, so one example. So our first album that we put out as a solo script was was it's called Slave Songs. And so the whole thing is founded on the biblical metaphor of our former slavery to sin and how Christ has yeah. liberated us and made us slavery, uh, made us slaves to God. And so therefore the songs that we sing are innocent slave songs. And so the yeah. whole concept of the album was a metaphor, but within that, I, my songs themselves were meant to, to explain or support what that metaphorical language sure. was trying to, to communicate. So as long as they're done, I think, balanced wise and yeah. it's clear and it's uh then yeah because i think with metaphors and with similes it's it they they sound really nice and they sound poetic yeah but you just got to make sure they're not misleading exactly yeah and you know it's funny even just yesterday uh we had staff devotions here and um um, and I had the privilege of, of leading those, and we kind of were looking into Psalm 133, which is, you know, um, oh, oh, how good it is when uh, when brothers dwell in unity. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he, and then uh, David, this is in the Song of Sense, he gives these two similes. One is <laughs> kind of funny today, but it's just like, oh, it's just like the oil that runs down Aaron's beard and onto his cloak. And then the other yeah. simile is like it's the dew from Mount Hermon uh, right. sort of giving life to Israel. And when we started to dig into like, you know, upon first reading, you look at that and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. And you can sort of make up your own interpretations. But once you kind of dig into the, the context of these metaphors, man, this this psalm and the idea of just Christian unity comes so alive uh, in such a way that, you know, you, you look at this three verse or four verse psalm and it's now like this this weighty thing. And uh, yeah. and I think in, in songs, it can be the, it can be the same way. Um, so. You know, so that that that's really cool. Um, Cody, what would you say to to Christian musicians? I guess I know you've already touched on this, but to sort of to challenge and encourage them um, in, in their creativity, but also now that we're talking, also in their discernment. Um, and I know you've already talked about this, but I just know that there are a lot, especially kind of people in their twenties and stuff, that sort of enjoy the the sort of the music aspect of church. Um, how would you encourage them to sort of break out from that sort of blindly following and sort of go towards this more, I would say, the, 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 the right way to do it, I should say. I think to summarize, it's just to realize that the world of music is, is much bigger than we realized and I realized. Yeah. And I've been blessed to get to, to study music at school, and a lot of people don't have that opportunity. That's true. But it, in my time of studying, it's, I mean, my eyes have just been open to to music of other cultures, music of other time periods. I, mean, I grew up on classic rock and roll. <laughs> and so if I, if I think if I hadn't studied um, music in school, then I, you know, I would just lean towards writing that type of music that I, I, I grew up with and that I naturally like. But I've, I've been forced to, to study Gregorian chant from the medieval period, oh, early man. polyphony from the Renaissance, uh, Baroque counterpoint, complex counterpoint from Bach and so my my eyes have, have been open to a lot of the to what music can be the musical language is it's more complex than we than we hear on the radio it's more complex than we tend to hear here in church and there's a reason for that I'm not saying we should be doing uh, atonal serialism in a church context but <laughs> there's a place for <laughs> there's a place for understanding like the 20th century and romanticism and um, just the richness of, of musical language so I'd say like study music from the past, listen to music from the past and see what you can glean. Hmm. Um, and I mean, for example, there's a 
piece. It's not it's not really liturgical, but uh, Stravinsky's Symphony of Psalms, which is just a magnificent work, mm. and his 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 language is, I mean. It's non-functional tonality. It's using a lot of octatonic, octatonic scales, but just it's just it's stuff that is it's complex, but it's it's, it's very beautiful. And um, there's things that we can learn from that. Um, also, just expand your musical language yourself. Uh, and again, this is all within the the context of I know we have limitations, but right. um, just trying to broaden your harmonic language that. There's more chords out there than just one, four, five, and six, <laughs> what we call diatonic chords. Uh, and those work, I, I use them all the time. That's probably the majority of my musical language, but um, you can experiment with wild chords. Uh, like, I mean, these aren't very wild, but secondary dominance, that's like a five of a five chord or um, augmented chords, diminished chords. And <laughs> believe it or not, there's a diminished chords have a place in our, our church worship and you just got to <laughs> know how to handle them well. But I mean, just harmonically, you can do a lot of really neat stuff, um, with, with different types of scales you can use. I mean, we, we so easily just use major scales and minor scales, but you can use, um, church modes like Dorian and Lydian mm. and Mixolydian and, um, for example, there's the hymn, What Wondrous Love Is This, which yeah. is a beautiful hymn. And yeah. that's composed in a, uh, a Dorian scale. It's an old church mode, but it's it works very well. Um, so just expand your musical language yeah. and ex- experiment without being too crazy. You don't want to alienate your, your listeners or the congregation. Sure. But if you, if you are careful enough, you can really, you can animate your music and you can bring it to life with just little things like that. That's cool. Um, as you're talking, I mean, I'm sure all that you're saying is very, very good. I'm just going to have to like go through my dictionary after this and <laughs> have to look up some, or my theory book maybe, uh, and figure some of those things out. But, but And the thing is, I mean, yeah, so I probably should use different words, but because of the internet, all this stuff is accessible. You can, totally. you can look up what a secondary dominant chord is and yeah. you can learn new chords. And so again, I, I'm not saying I get what you want to know your limitations, but there's just, just knowing that it's out there and there's yeah. more you can do, it should be, uh, at least it's like, it's, it causes me to want to just explore. And yeah. I mean, composition, it is exploration and there's, mm. you know, we can write bad songs. I've written tons of songs that are too wild that just don't work, but I tried <laughs> and you learn from that and you just try again. That's awesome. Um, do you have friends or maybe your wife uh, that are just like, you know, pretty straight with you if you show them a song and they're just like, no, we can't do that. Or <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely, my wife is, uh, she's my sounding board for almost everything I write. Okay, just, good. <laughs> she, she's musical as well. She, we met in uh, an undergrad at Union okay. and uh, she's a, an amazing piano player, great vocalist. So she's really talented and she knows a lot about music. So she can give me uh, good criticism that is, that is like it's tangible, it's concrete. It's not just, I don't like that or I like that. But she says, well, you might want to think through why this doesn't work. <laughs> And so, yeah, you, you need that because you otherwise you might just, just get too wrapped up in your own ideas that really don't work. Yeah. Hey, and before we go to the last question here, um, I'm just going to throw throw a curveball at you. But when it comes to pastors of churches, like let's say the lead teaching pastor um, and, and even the eldership, uh, what would you kind of even say to them? Uh, because a lot of pastors, if they're not musically inclined, sometimes they kind of forget the importance of worshiping through music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you, what, what would you kind of say to sort of encourage them a little bit? I think most pastors will have an appreciation for the importance of 
the musical component in worship. Right. Um, one thing I, I hear people say a lot as I as I have conversations about music and worship is that the so if a pastor preaches a fifty minute sermon, um, and even if you take notes, sometimes what he says doesn't stick as well to you as the song that you might have sure. sung because right. music has a way of being what I call sticky that it. It, it, it because it's so emotionally charged that it can really uh, take hold in our heart and on our memory. So just yeah. recognizing that what's being sung um, will be very powerful and it will be memorable for the the listener. And just to, to know that sometimes music can conflict with what the pastor is going to to mm. preach on. And what I do at our church. Is I, I I find out what our pastor is going to be preaching on. I know the the text, the passage, mm-hmm. and I try to write or pick out music that is that will complement it, cool. that won't um, that won't steal away from his quote unquote thunder. Um, <laughs> I mean, it just kind of sets it sets him up, sets the congregation up to receive the word yeah. better. And so, music and preaching they they really do go hand in hand. That's and good. They, they ought to be uh, good friends and not not conflicting yeah, enemies. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, and Cody, lastly, what would you kind of say to Christians who uh, who aren't necessarily, let's say, you know, into music? And I get, yeah, into music or just to sort of challenge their understanding of musical worship. Um, I know I know a lot of people that, you know, I think I think they could say that, you know, I go to church and I just, you know, I, I, I'd rather just listen to the sermon, you know, <laughs> than have right. to stand up and, and sing. And they're just, yeah, I don't know. Like, what would you say that to them or to encourage them a little bit about the importance of musical worship? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll answer this twofold. The first okay. is that to, is to recognize that, and hopefully people know this, and your language has been really consistent with this, and I'm grateful, but that worship is not just the the musical part of the yeah. of the service. And a lot of people, if you just ask them what is what is Christian worship, that's what they'll go to first, and maybe that's what they'll go to only is that music. Our worship is whenever we sing songs together, right? And so to know that it's more than that, and when we start to study and understand what. Christian worship is, you see that music is just a, a part of it, hmm. but it is a very important part. And so my master's thesis was actually about this. Uh, it was it was an examination of what Christian worship is from a theological standpoint, and then uh, understanding what is the role or function of music within that paradigm. Wow. And then because I was a composition major, how do I then write new forms of art that can be consistent within that? And so, wow. if there's a simple definition of, of worship that I like is that worship, Christian worship, is a our appropriate response to God's revelations, where God reveals Himself to us, and so we can respond in lots of different ways in our own individual or private worship, and also in our public or cor- corporate worship. Yeah. And Scripture tells us that we are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. So there's this mandate that when we gather together, mm. we are to sing. And so that's why we first and foremost sing in church because scripture tells us to, but you can go a bit deeper and think about, um, well, why, why is singing? Why did God want us to sing? Why didn't he ask us to do corporate pottery or corporate finger painting or some other type of art form? <laughs> right. And my argument and I, I, that music is the best suited form of art that facilitates corporate worship. Mm. Um, I don't think you're going to find a better one. Wow. And the reason is, is because when we sing, you, you you are expressing in 
objective verbal language truths about God. We sing to the Lord and we sing to each other, as Ephesians 5 talked about. And so this, there's that objective side of it, but also music is very much subjective. It's it's emotional. And so you taking objective truth and you're marrying it with, with subjectivity and in the, in the right hands, a composer can use those well. And so that the music, the emotional part is complementing uh, and even propelling what the, the words are trying to do. That's good. Yeah. And so what music does is it helps us to think our feelings and to feel our thoughts. And so whenever we mm. sing together, we're, we're making these intellectual uh, thoughts about who God is, but then it brings our heart along with it. And so we have emotional response and not just an intellectual response. And I think that that coordinates well with what Jesus talks about in John 4, about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, not yeah. just with our heads, not just with our hearts, but with both of those. Yeah. So just to see that it's, music is not in and of itself Christian worship, but it plays a very crucial part. And you, need, mm-hmm. it, you just need to learn to embrace that and to put your defenses down and it helps you to, to worship our creator a lot better. Yeah, no, that that's great. Thank you so much, Cody. And, and even as you say that the sort of the, uh, the so sort of the marriage between the the melody and the words and the melody sort of needs to that can be subjective to the objective truth and and that that can be sort of shaped uh, to complement the 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 other and um, I remember listening to a, a podcast um, with uh, Keith Getty talking about that uh, as well and I thought I found it very very profound as well so that's that's such a great yeah. point. Um, but anyways, Cody, that, that was, I know that's a short conversation, but thank you so much for uh, for coming on here. And, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, my pleasure. I'm going to put all the links to where people can listen to uh, your your music the, uh, and so on. But um, be, be, okay. be, before I put those down there, do you just want to quickly tell us that, uh, like, you, you said that it's a student-led thing, other people were singing, and it's just, it was sort of a, 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 a unity thing, wasn't it? It was. So... Uh, our first album, Slave Songs, it was my wife and I doing everything. Okay. And after that, we realized that we wanted to be more in the background. And so uh, at Union, we met some very talented musicians. Thomas Griffith and Kelsey Edgren are, are the lead vocalists for Romans. So with, okay. with Romans, for example, you'll hear um, Union students, they've graduated now, so Union alums, um, who did all the playing, all the singing. Cool. And I, I wrote the music and got to, to be a part of some of it. But that's it's it's certainly um, based in Union right now. And it's, it's grateful for all the, the talent that Union has. Um, and so, yeah, I think our, our course of action from here on out is to just write music and let others, others perform it, others play it. Yeah. And I think that helps to take away that whole band persona away from us. Mm-hmm. So it's more about the music and not less about you know, what we look like or who we are. And so just emphasis on the music, emphasis on scripture. Yeah. Cody, thank you so much. And I hope to have you back on the show again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was Cody Curtis. If you enjoyed what you heard, either by the song at the beginning or you're just interested by it, um, I've linked the URLs on our episode podcast page for you to check out Romans, and they also have some other EPs out as well. Anyways, that wraps up the Indo podcast for this week. If you want to hang out with us throughout the week and head to our pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a story, comment, or an idea, or maybe even a guest uh, that you would love to hear from, you can message us at info at indo.ca or even private message us on our Facebook page. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week on the Indo Podcast, we start a new two-week series on evangelism with Dr. George Martin from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. See you then. 
In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. For more podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit backtothebible.ca slash in doubt.